Uh, let me stop talking about other stuff, and let's get into Mark 1. Mark 1, 12 is gonna, where we're going to be today. I don't, I don't want to always share a story first. I feel like I do that, and sometimes that's like, that's like eating salad before a meal. Like me, me sharing before the scripture is like, like if I go somewhere, I don't want to waste precious tummy space on rabbit food. It's just not my thing. I want the full, hearty, like what's coming next. I want all my stomach space to go to that, and then maybe I'll have rabbit food. I, I feel that way both about the scriptures and preaching, and if I come over to your house uh, or your apartment for dinner. So just be, be warned of that. If you put a salad in front of me, I'm going to secretly feed it to the dog and say, wow, that was very tasty. And then I'm going to wait to, to, to put in the good stuff, okay? So, so we're going to get right to the scriptures. This is Mark 1.12. Mark 1.12. Again, we're getting through two scriptures today. It was three last week. It's two today. Again, about 2030, we'll finish all of Mark. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. Mark loves the word immediately. Uses it 41 times. What he's trying to say is, look, for those of you that are going to go throughout history, you have to know that Jesus is not meandering. The disciples are not playing paintball in between this. There's no, there's no pit stops, right? There's no bread stops. It's just straight from one thing to the other. The one thing is that Jesus has just been baptized. Victory. It's amazing. That's what baptism represents, victory. Jesus was baptized, and now uh, the Holy Spirit is going to press him, going to give him what we, we're going to call a spiritual unction toward the wilderness. Now, let's just take a cul-de-sac here. We talked about loving all the Trinity last week. We talked about loving the Holy Spirit uh, God, the Holy Spirit, will give you a spiritual unction. Once you start to believe in God, once you start to uh, understand the Holy Spirit loves you, wants to push you towards things, you'll get this unction. You don't know where it's from. Uh, you know it's of God. It's about God. It's for God. It lines up with the scriptures. It's to love this person. It's to serve this person. It's to give this person a word. It's to tell this person a scripture. It's to pray for this person. The Holy Spirit will give you an unction, and you'll get good at following the Holy Spirit into doing that thing. This is, what, this is what happens. So, so that, that's a quick cul-de-sac, but Jesus ha- has a spiritual unction to go to the wilderness, immediately following his baptism, all right? And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. 40 days. In the Matthew account that we'll read, he's also fasting. So he's in the, in the wilderness for 40 days. Uh, this is significant because both Elijah and, and Moses, kind of the Hall of Famers uh, of the Bible, they were also tempted for 40 days uh, and were, were fasting for 40 days. Satan didn't address them like, like he's addressing Jesus, but they were, I mean, if, if, I'm, if I'm hungry for 40 days, I'm cranky, I'm tired, I'm angry, I'm all sorts of sinny, okay? There's all sorts of sinny going on inside. So both Moses and Elijah did this, and now Jesus is doing that. And it's also significant because, dang, 40 days. Like day three when I'm fasting, I don't know about you, Day three, I'm crawling to Chipotle. I'm crawling like someone stole something from me. My wife is like, I thought you went to the bathroom. And I'm like, no, I went to Chipotle. I got three burrito bowls. I didn't even know they did it but like this. They make a triple burrito bowl. I had all three. I just ate them. They made it just for me. Like that's, that's where I'm at when I'm fasting. I don't know about you. So Jesus is there for 40 days being tempted and fasting. There's more. And he was with wild animals. He was with wild animals. This is not saying that Jesus is like Ranger Rick. Okay, and that may be a little bit too far back for folks, right? I mean, you're like, who is that? Uh, how about Australian Steve guy? Okay, God rest his soul. 
Australian Steve guy. Jesus is not like Australian Steve guy where he's like talking to animals and they're coming to him. And No, this is what Mark is saying. He's fasting, he's praying, he's being tempted by Satan. It's 40 days, he hasn't had food, and there's like wildebeests and like lions and mongoose. Like they're all around and he has to, he has to somehow avoid all that and, and deal with all this that's going on here. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. That's a lot, okay? That's a tough 40 days. Let's pray over this and see what God has for us. God, we ask that you would be in this room. Uh, we ask that you would teach us the scriptures. Would you just sit us down and teach us? I, I, love, I love those moments in the scriptures where the disciples are just sitting on the, on the lawn. They're sitting on a hill, and you're just laying out what, what it means to follow you, what it means to be like you, how much you love us. I pray that you would do that today that we would just sit with your scriptures, we would make you king, you Lord, and we would make our opinion somewhere near the bottom. We surrender to you today, and we ask for your Holy Spirit to teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. My wife is in Michigan right now. Um, she's a really gifted teacher, preacher, and so they asked her to come and, and, and uh, teach a class, teach a workshop, and so she's doing that, and she killed it yesterday. Uh, and I told her, because she wanted to bring kids and stuff. I said, no, boo, you go. You do your thing, right? I got the kids. I got this. You go spend time with your friend. Like, she's catching up with old friendships. You spend time with Jesus. You drink a lot of coffee. I knew that's what she was going to do. She, she had like seven coffee dates. You go do you, boo-boo. I, I got this. I, I'll be here, okay? And she looked at me like, okay. Uh, and she just took it, right? She, I, I'm going. But you know why it's okay? Because I had warning. I had a month of warning. That's the only reason it's okay. If I had no warning, if on Wednesday she was like, you're up, I would die. There would be a death in the family. It would be me. Uh, we would at least have some intense fellowship, my holy word for fighting uh, in marriage. And, and we would at least be like, what? what? What do you mean you're leaving? Like there would at least be some of that. But I had ample warning. I feel like as a father, uh, like if I have warning, enough warning, I can handle anything. If you tell me this is coming, I can handle that. So I handled this, right? Like four days ahead of time, we're at Costco. I'm, I'm, I'm stocking the freezer. There's nothing in my fridge right now. There's milk and eggs. But in my freezer, there's pizza, there's enchiladas, uh, there, there's empanadas, there's all the adas. Anything that you can put in the, in the oven for like 10 minutes and pop it out and give it to kids, I have that in my freezer right now. Like I'm prepping. Uh, I, I'm getting protection for my kids, like I'm dropping them off at Apu's, uh, the, the Filipino word for grandparents, like I, I'm getting protection for them, I'm getting sleep leading up to it, I'm like I need to sleep eight hours tonight because I'm not going to sleep all that much when, when, when the time comes. It's, it's kind of like preparing for war, right? You ration food, you fortify the forts, uh, and then you prepare your mind that you might die. And, like, that way you, like, go into war, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know what war is about when you go in. Like, that's what this is kind of like. And so I, I had ample time, I had ample warning, and therefore the kids are, they're okay, they're healthy. I mean, they're relatively healthy. I don't know how many nutrients you get out of pizza three times a day. But they're relatively healthy. You know, Sayla has the same, you know, I call it the daddy special, this little, this little ponytail popping out the top. She has the same ponytail. But they're healthy, they're good, we're alive, and mommy got some much-needed mommy time. And it's all due to what? The warning. The warning is critical. Now, Jesus spends this passage giving us 
a critical warning. Saying, this will come your way. This is going to happen. It's not an if, it's a when. And it's an important warning uh, because you can face it now. You have the tools. You have the blueprint from Jesus, what it looks like to face temptation, what it looks like to face trial and tribulation. Jesus is going to tell you there's going to be some victory and then there's going to be some pain. There's going to be some warfare. You are in a war. That's what today's going to be about. You are in a battle. You can ignore it, but ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance will kill you. Because there is a war for your soul, for your heart, for your mind, for your purity, for your marriage. There is a war. Like Jesus just got out of victory. And immediately following that, there's going to be some, there's going to be some pain. So but let's go back. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. So Jesus' training ground is not going to be the spa. He's not going to take you know, 40 days off, get a mani-pedi, hang out, get some cappuccinos, and that way he's rested and ready for the battle that's about to come his way. The battle that's about to come his way is he's going to, he's going to face demons. He's going to cast demons out of people. He's going to feed people. He's going to cast sicknesses out of people. He's going to raise people from the dead. He's going to be chased by everybody. I mean, just count the times where Jesus just slips out of the crowd. Like they're going to kill him. They're going to stone him. They're going to hang him. Or they're going to crucify him, and he just slips out. He's like a ninja. He just pinks, and he's out, okay? The, the amount of times that Jesus is straight up running, because this is his life. His life is one big battle. And he just had victory. That's what, that's what baptism is. And he comes out of the water. The father's like, I love you, son. With you, I'm well pleased. The spirit comes on him. It's victory. The, the very notion of baptism is victory. Like, what we, we believe baptism is your death and your resurrection. Bottom line. That's why you go under the water. It's your death. You're walking the plank to your own death. And that's why you come out of the water. You're, you're symbolizing, I'm now a, a new person. I'm now a resurrected person. It's very victorious. Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. It's in his name. Right? There's the blacksmiths and then there's the baptizers. This is how good he is at baptizing. So John the Baptist baptizes him. God the Father confirms it. The Spirit is on him that raises from the dead. You would think that he's prepared for ministry, but Jesus is about to go right into trial and tribulation for 40 days to prep himself for what's about to come. So God is going to say, look, it's coming. It's coming. You will face something. If you've been a Christian for, for 20 minutes, you know as soon as you have victory, you're looking around the corner like, what's coming next? There's going to be some pain. When things are really good, you're like, hold up. <laughs> Something's wrong. Something's wrong. It's way too, good, way too easy right now. That's because no matter what the evangelist says, the TV evangelist with the great hair, no matter what he says, there is trial. There is pain. There is poverty. This world is messed up. There is temptation. It's coming your way. So Jesus faces victory, right? I mean, everything about baptism screams victory. People come out of the water after the story, and you feel the victory in your bones. Sometimes they even make the V for victory. <laughs> it's like, yay, V for victory. But immediately, what God is warning us of is there's something coming now. Okay, j just notice this. Now, here's the main warning, if I could put it into words. Salvation is not a destination. It's on the slide for you. It's the beginning of mission. So victory, salvation is not... It's not a destination. You haven't arrived. I mean, you've arrived at something, but it's really the beginning of, of mission. It's really the beginning. Now, now Satan knows that you have Jesus in your heart. Uh, now you know that other people are dying without Jesus, and you need to make sure they find Jesus. Like, it's, it's not the destination. It's just the beginning of mission. 
And I think sometimes we think it's a, it's a destination. Like we've, we've arrived, we get this membership card, and we get 50% off in the heaven food court, and, and so now we can just kind of chill out. But, but God is saying, no, this is really the beginning of mission. There is a celebration. Don't get me wrong. Like read three, the three parables in a row from Jesus. There's a lost sheep and a lost son and a lost coin. And afterwards, heaven is lit. Heaven is, is screaming and worshiping God. They're excited. God's excited. You're excited. There is celebration. But that's really the beginning because now Satan's not sleeping on you. Satan's like, I, I know what they have. I know what's in them. Just think about this. Just think about the power of one person. This is what Satan knows. There's power in one person. Think about Esther. Esther is a powerful woman in in, in the word of God. She changes a whole country. A whole country is about to experience genocide. And then comes along, Esther changes the game. Read it sometime. Think about Martin Luther King. Changes a whole country. I mean, he he had people that came with him. But man, he, he was the catalyst and we still, we still experience racism on a high level today. But man, did he change the game. One man. This is what Satan knows. One man, one woman could do a whole lot of damage. And so he's not playing. He's not playing games. This is what the Bible says. The Bible does not say, like, Satan is like a roaring lion. He's coming to really hinder your 401k. Like, this is what the Bible says. Be sober-minded. Like, be warned. The warning's important. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. You ever watch the National Geographic Channel? You ever seen a cheetah go like 50 miles per hour, jump on an antelope, and then tickle fight? No, he devours that antelope. It's really hard to watch, and it's like always slow. It's like, oh gosh, please die. Why am I watching this? Like, it's, it's really hard to watch. But th- th- this, is what, this is what Satan is. His job description is clear. Like, whatever big company you may work at, yeah, pretty clear job description, but usually it's 15 sentences wrong for no reason. Here's Satan's steal, kill, destroy. He's ready. He wants your life, he wants your heart, again, he wants your marriage, he wants your purity, he wants your, your, your single life, he wants your friendships, your relationships. He wants all of it. He wants to take all of it from you. Here, God is taking trial and tribulation, and he's going to make Jesus go from the hunted to the hunter. That's what he's going to use these 40 days for. God is not the author of temptation, James 1, but he will use temptation and trial and tribulation to make you go from the hunted to the hunter. From the victim to the victor. Like This is, this is what God will, will use temptation for. To make you know who you are. God will use trial to, 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 for, for you to understand your identity, for you to understand the power that lies within you, the, 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 the perseverance that God put inside of you. He will use that and leverage that f- to teach you really how to take the kingdom of God straight to the heart of hell. Like, this is the power he wants to give you. This is, this is the warfare he wants you to be a part of. And that gets me amped up. I mean, you guys don't look that amped up, but for, for me, I'm amped up. Like, he wants to take me from victim to victor. Love that song. I am no victim. Like, I'm not a victim. I have Jesus. I have a God who loves me. I have a God who calls me son. I have a God who died for me. I had a God who put resurrected power inside of me. I'm not a victim. I'm the victor. And whatever comes my way, and it will come my way, 
I will not just be rich and chilling. As, and, and if I am, then there's a problem. I need to give some money. I'm not just going to experience this comfy, wumpy life, but, but I need to take those trials and tribulations and, and put them toward the heart of hell. That's what I need to do. Um, and so, so this is our warning today, and this is our blueprint, right? This is our warning and our blueprint. It's going to get hard, but here's the blueprint to win. I love it. As a, as a former athlete, that gets me all amped up. So maybe that doesn't get you amped up, but for me, here's the blueprint to win, and I like it. Um, now, Mark is a very typical male here, and I don't mean to be sexist, um, but I just haven't he- heard many women talk like this. It's usually the men who are just really short to the point and concise. Like, my wife will ask me when I come home from work, uh, like maybe, and maybe it's a full, like, emotional day, and there's so much going on, and she'll ask me, how was today? Good. And that's it. She's like, wow, that was elaborate, you know, like, is there any more details? And I'm like, no, it's good, you know? And it's full. I have stuff to tell her. I need to tell her. This is, this is why, like, I don't know if you've ever heard a, a woman, like, in fun, you know, do, do her husband's voice. You ever heard this before? It's all the same. I've always heard it. He always turns into, like, a caveman, right? Me want bagel. I'm like, why is your husband a caveman all the time, right? It's just what, and it's, there's some truth to it because he's not very good at elaborating all the time. Maybe this is striking some chords. He's not, he's not very good at it. Mark is not good at it. He doesn't elaborate a ton. He talks kind of like this. He's like, Jesus healed the leper. Bang, it's over. Like, wow, thanks, Mark. Thanks for the detailed account. So sometimes we'll go from Mark to Matthew or Luke or John to get the more detailed account. Um, we'll, we'll even go throughout parts of the Old Testament, not to just, just show the congruency of Scripture. That's one. I want to show the congruency and the fluidity of Scripture. But number two, I need to talk for 35 minutes, and so I can't just deal with Mark all the time. All right, so uh, here we go. This is Matthew's account of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. Here's the warning and the blueprint. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Okay, thank you for that, Matthew. So if Mark is a bit of an undershare, Matthew's a bit of an overshare. Like, no kidding. He's in the desert for 40 days and he's a little bit hungry. All right? Let's be honest. Number three, and the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones... To become loaves of bread. Command these stones to become loaves of bread. Now, the parallels here are crazy. And the parallels are to Genesis. The parallels are to Adam and Eve's temptation. And Satan is very similar. And really what God is trying to say here is, Jesus is the better Adam. It's a kind of a theological way of looking at this. Jesus is better than Adam. Where Adam couldn't, where Adam couldn't deny temptation, Jesus can. Where Adam couldn't save us, Jesus can where Adam couldn't uh, win against Satan, Jesus can. So not only is the Bible saying that, but it's also saying Satan hasn't changed a whole lot. He's still tempting the same way. And, and, and if you keep this in mind, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? I'm sorry, go, go back one, Tony, go back one. Um, so let's, let's read this first. If you are the son of God, command these stones. Now next one. Thanks, Tony. Did God actually say you shall not eat? Like, did, did you, see the, you see the similarities there? Satan hasn't changed much. The similarities are, he, he's going to ask subtle, deconstructive questions of your identity. That's what he's going to do. Subtly deconstruct who God is and who you are in a question. And they're powerful questions, right? All my wife needs to do is give me a, a slight powerful question. Justin, can you really put that couch on your back and go up those stairs? 
I will break three legs, but I will be, I will be up the stairs. I told you I could do it. You know, you know what I mean? Like this is, these are subtle questions. And they're powerful. And this is where Satan starts with Jesus. He said, did, did, you, did you really? And this is where he starts with, uh, with, with, uh, with Adam. Did, is this really what God said? He'll say this about you. Are you really, are you really a good wife? Because you're not really acting like it. Are you really a supportive husband? Because you haven't really shown it. Are you really a pure single person? Does God's forgiveness really cover over those sins that, that you did? Does God really love you even though you did those things? These, these are just the questions that are planted in your mind. Like, keep this in mind. Satan is subtle. It's really easy to remember. Satan is subtle. He's in the subtleties. We often look at Satan to be the lead actor when Satan operates more as like a janitor. Does that make sense? So he's usually, we think of him like the lead actor, the guy up front, he's peacocking, he wears loud outfits, he's the lead actor, everybody knows who he is, what he's saying, and what he's doing, and we think that Satan's going to show his hand all the time, but really he acts like a janitor, behind the scenes, creating small messes. You don't even see him. You don't even notice him. That's why some of you are uncomfortable with me talking about Satan today, Right? Some of you guys are uncomfortable with that. You're uncomfortable with me saying the words sin or hell. Because this is one of his main MOs. Just subtle questions about who God is, who he is, who you are. He wants you to think he doesn't exist. You're not in a battle. Uh, The only time he does exist is as a novelty uh, or or with a pitchfork and a red outfit on Halloween. This is what he wants you to think. C.S. Lewis came up with this idea. This is one of his best tricks to make you think that you are not in battle, that he does not exist, and that he's not subtle. But Satan is subtle. I mean, just watch his subtleties. If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. He questions Jesus' character. If you are the Son of God, and then he really asks them, he really asks him to do something small. Like, this is not a big sin to me. Turning the rock into, like, a BLT. That's not a big deal, I don't think. This is not a big sin. He doesn't start with Jesus. Let's go rob a liquor store. Jesus, let's go murder someone. He doesn't start with that. Just a subtle question. Who are you really? And if you are God, then why don't you just do this thing that is not really submitting to God the Father? If you're the man, then do this thing. So, so this, is what, this is where he starts. Um, here's the big idea, and hopefully I have a slide for this as well. The, the, the blueprint goes like this. Identify the subtle lie and own the God truth. So identify the subtle lie, meaning the subtle lie is there. You need to identify it. You need to believe that Satan exists, because God believes that Satan exists. You need to believe that he's trying to rob your, rob your life from you, and you need to identify the subtle lie that, that goes along with that. And then you need to own, the key word is own there, like the actual truth, which is the word of God. You need to own it. It can't be somebody else's. It can't be from me to you. It can't be, like, you have to own that truth for yourself. You have to have a, a way to own the scriptures. Because God will do this with somebody else, too. He'll be like, I don't even think, I don't really, really think John even likes you. And then you start to think, well, am I even likable? I think I'm likable. And you start to argue with yourself in the mirror. Because this is what Satan's doing. He's just planting subtle lies, subtle cracks in your identity. In the scaffolding of your identity, he's just trying to chop off one small leg at a time. Like, if he wants to take your marriage, he's not going to start with adultery. He's going to start with communication. He's going to stop you over time from communicating to each other. 
He's going to stop you from doing devotions and praying together. This is how he's going to get you. He's going to stop you from dating. He's going he's to make sure your, your work-life balance is so busy that you don't see each other, you don't care for each other, you don't listen for each other, you haven't been on a date in six months, and then he's going to really plant some more questions. Like, what if you were with somebody else? This is how he gets to adultery. You understand? This is how he gets there. He doesn't, he doesn't start with adultery. Because he knows something that he doesn't want you to know. And that means that thing is a small sin, goes through puberty, it grows up into something that you can't handle. A small sin, a subtle sin, grows into like, it has a mustache, and it's got leg hair, and it's got bass in its voice, and it's got a job, and that's what we call an addiction. You can't handle that thing anymore. This is James, just to prove it. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. When sin is fully grown, when it's a grown man or a grown woman, it brings forth death. So it starts out just a little, little desire, a little something subtle. You don't address it with repentance and the gospel and turning to Jesus and forgiveness and grace. It grows up. It gets a license. It starts to talk back. Then it becomes really grown. Say, so do you have a life? No. They only have this thing. This thing has won. Until Jesus comes in and takes it back and they allow Jesus to do that. This is, what, this is what Satan knows, and he doesn't want you to know. He doesn't want you to think you're in a battle. He doesn't want you to think that he has a, a subtle lie planted. He doesn't want you to think that he, he's trying to take everything from you. But if, but if you can address, if you can own the truth, uh, if you can identify the subtle lie and then own the truth, maybe you'll win. Maybe you'll win against Satan. Let's go on to um, the, 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 subtle, the subtle lies that he continues with. But he answered, this is Jesus coming back with, with the blueprint, but he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus looks back and quotes Deuteronomy 8 in his face, in his faceplate. Bam, Satan. But how does he do that? Well, he knows the truth. He has the truth written on his heart. It's his. It's not the preacher's. It's not the person discipling him. It's Jesus. It's his truth. He owns it. And I think this is where many of us just give up. Like, Christians, no, 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 don't put Christians there. Americans hate being bad at stuff. We're obsessed with being good at stuff. Like, I'm convinced we would not do curling if we didn't have to in the Olympics. We're not good at it. We're not good at tennis anymore. I'm convinced we would just boot it. If we could, we'd be like, nope, not doing it. We're America, we're not good at it, we don't want to do it. Because we're obsessed with being good at everything. And then comes in praying, and we stink. And then comes in a relationship with the scriptures, and we feel like we stink. Because we want it to be a fix tomorrow. We want to know all the scriptures, all 66 books. We want it memorized, and if we can't do that, and we try for a couple weeks, and we try a daily reading plan, and we get too busy, we're like, I'm not going to be good at this, and so what? I quit. I take my ball, I go home, I'm done. Because Americans are obsessed with being good at stuff. But reading the scriptures and praying is a lifelong process. It's a labor of love. Uh, it's, there's ups, there's downs, uh, and, and it takes perseverance. So my hope is that you wouldn't quit, but that you would step in with us. Because like I said last week, we're not playing. This is one of our core values. So, so one of our core values is, is making disciples who make disciples, right? Uh, and, and we know in a discipleship relationship, we can't pass off 50 things to you. If I'm discipling Lloyd, uh, Lloyd's actually smarter than me, so that'd be really bad. Uh, you know, 
let's just play it, okay, Lloyd? Uh, if I'm discipling Lloyd, uh, I can only pass off a couple things before he leaves and goes to a different country because that's what people do here, okay, or a different state. I can only pass off three things. One of those things for us is a relationship with the scriptures. And we're not playing. Because we believe if you have a relationship with the, with the scriptures, you own the truth and you can, you can win the war. That's what we believe. So that's why we're not playing. That's why on Sunday morning, we're going verse by verse for an entire year through a whole book of the Bible. That's why in your missional communities, we're going verse by verse through that same book through an entire book of the Bible. That's why your kids are learning Mark right now, verse by verse, through an entire book of the Bible. Like, this is why we're doing this. Because we want you to own the truth. And all you got to do is come in and be woke. That's all you got to do. Come in, be woke. Like, when I, when I loved a topic, when I loved, and I, I only loved, like, two of them in school, when I loved, uh, like, a, a class, where did I sit? Up front, what did I have? My tools. I have my notebook, my pen, my paper. I'm ready. I'm engaging. I'm charming the teacher so I get an A. I'm doing all of these things. I'm not saying you have to sit up front. I'm saying metaphorically, how do you own the truth on Sunday morning? Metaphorically, how can you be consistently, or not, this is practically, how can you be consistent at missional communities and own the truth? How can you engage? How can you engage? Like This is for you. How do you go home and not just believe everything I've said because I say it loudly, but you go home and you own it yourself and you say, let me check up what Justin said there because I'm not quite positive and so I'm going to go to the scriptures myself. I'm going to memorize that scripture or I really liked what Justin uh, said. That was really good how he said that. I like when you say that type of stuff. Uh, I'm going to go home and I'm going to own this truth myself. I'm going I'm to write it on a piece of paper. I'm going to write it 10 times because I want it to be in my heart. How do you own the truth? Because when you own the truth, then you can own the lie. Does. The second thing he does, not only does he own the truth, but he speaks over the lie. He speaks right through the heart of the lie, out loud. I encourage you to do the same. His offensive weapon is to beat up the lie. Can you do the same thing? Um, but let's go on to what Satan does next, and then we'll, we'll start to wrap up here. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, there it is again, subtle lie. Subtle deconstruction. Throw yourself down. So he wants them to do some like Spider-Man stuff. You understand? Like jump off this. Like, you know, get some angels and land. Everybody's going to love you. What's the big deal? A lot of scholars think that this is at a place where like they, they, they started worship. So it's at the pinnacle of the temple. And I got this little nugget from Pedro as well. And then I looked it up because <clears throat> I don't believe everything Pedro said. <clears throat> I believe most things. But I got to look it up for myself. So they believe that, you know, they took the shofar, you know that, that thing that some charismatic churches do? They take it up there, right? And that means we're starting worship. This is the place that they did that. And so everybody gathered, and they gathered Jesus here, or he gathers Jesus here, and he says, just jump. What's the big deal? If you are the Son of God, do some Spider-Man stuff and jump. And then he misquotes Psalm 91. All these things I give to you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only. I'm sorry, did I, did I skip ahead there for you? Okay. Uh, let, let's go back. Jesus said to him, again, it's written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him the kingdom of the world and their glory, and he said to them, all these I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Bottom line is you're in a war. That's the bottom line. Know that you're in a war. Like, God gives us this very famous passage, Ephesians 6. 
says you're in a war. You don't fight against the things that you see. You fight against the things that you don't see. And then he tells us, put on the helmet, put on the belt. These are all, these are all things, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. Put these things on. And he, he, goes through the, he goes through what you put on your feet, the readiness of the gospel. Do, do you know the only offensive weapon in that list is the word of God? It's the sword. This is what you've been given to be offensive, to win. The word of God. This is what you've been given. This is why we teach this. This is why we're not, we're not doing a bunch of stories about Dunkin' Donuts and my puppies. Uh, and, and, and then maybe at the end, I'll tell you a little bit of a scripture, and you leave here going, did he even talk about Jesus? Did he even talk about sin? Did he even talk about hell? Did he talk about Satan? Did he talk about the Bible? Like, you, you've left churches that way, right? I'm, I, am, I, am I alone in this? I, I've left churches. Like, did they even talk? Did, it, did the name Jesus even get said? Was the Bible even taught? I know it was on the screen, but it wasn't taught. It wasn't dissected. This is why we're not playing. Because this is your only offensive weapon. You're in a war. He's given you an offensive weapon. It's to own the truth. And it's not just to have it from me. You don't own that. You didn't pay for that. You didn't work for that. I mean, you came to church. You took some notes. That's good. But we've been doing this since we were little. We've been owning things that we don't really own. We've been calling it mine. Like my kids, we're, we're a bubble tea family. Anybody else a bubble tea family? That's what's up. That's what's up. Yeah, come on, guys. All right, you can admit it. Nothing sinful about bubble tea. We love bubble tea. We get bubble tea all the time. So this, this, this week, we're sitting there, and I lost it. I shouldn't have lost it. But we all have bubble tea, uh, and, and, and J.D. wants some of Animal's bubble tea. Sis, can I have some bubble tea? No, it's mine. And then Sis wants some of J.D.'s bubble tea. No, it's mine, he says. And then little Selah, little baby Selah, she's sleeping back here. Little baby Selah, she's too. She's too. Selah, can I have some? Mine. Come on. I lost it. I lost it. I went on a tangent. I said, none of it's yours. You haven't, you ain't got no job. You ain't got no place to be. You haven't done anything today. I changed your diaper. You didn't even go in the potty. Like, I just lost it. I, just, I had a moment I'm like, afterwards. I'm like, why did you do that? I started breaking down theology for them. I'm like, come on. I don't even, I'm like, daddy doesn't even own this. It's Jesus's. And they're like, what are you talking about, daddy? You're a weirdo. And I just went on and on. But this is what we do from, from, from two years old. We're like, it's mine. Even though we didn't pay for it. Even though we didn't work for it. The scriptures will not be yours until you work for it a little bit. Until you spend time alone in your prayer closet, at your desk in the morning. Until you decide, I'm going through the scriptures in my discipleship relationships. I'm going to missional community consistently. I'm pulling out a notepad on Sunday mornings. I'm not playing. I'm getting the scriptures in my heart. And two years in, one year in, two years in, you're going to start to quote the scriptures over the subtle lies in your life. I do it now. Satan tries to play with me, but I got, I got more truth than he has lie. That's when you know you win. When, when your truth is much bigger than a lie. Satan tries with me, but I got the scriptures. Now, I, I cheated, right, because I teach the Bible all year long, so I cheat a little bit. I know the scriptures, but, but for me, I got it in my heart. So you can try to play with me. You can try to lie to me. You can try to tell me I'm not a good father. You can try to tell me I'm not pure, but I know the gospel. I know if I, if I exemplified a lack of purity that the gospel saves me, rescues me, resurrects me, and puts me on new foot, and I will be pure tomorrow. That's what I know. So Satan stops messing with you a little bit. He tries something else. 
but you're powerful. Like, what if every Christian knew the power that exists inside of them? What if they had this stored up in their heart and they were able to spit it out as Satan over their marriage, over their, over their lives, over their relationships, over their finances? What if you were able to speak the truth over the lie? Identify the subtle, subtle lie and own the truth. You got to own it. Let's pray. And let's ask God for the strength to own the truth. God, I pray for everybody in here who feels inadequate this morning. I pray for anybody in here who thinks that this, these scriptures were just meant for the preacher to yell at them with or talk to them about. And they didn't know it was theirs to own. I pray for all the people in this room who don't know where things are in the scriptures because it's 66 long books and, and they've just given up a little bit. I pray that you would make us a, a community, a family that helps each other know the scriptures. That gives us the weaponry to fight back. I pray in our missional communities we go deep into the word. I pray on Sunday morning I would always let the word drive. And I wouldn't try to take over with my own wit or my own stories or my own self. That I would let myself come out, but most of all, I'd let you come out in your scriptures. God, let us be a church that puts you first. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.